Hello, this is Aaron Wren, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined here today by special guest Sammy Karam. Uh, Sammy is a former fund manager and analyst uh, who now does a lot of work looking at demographics and other uh, things that help describe what make countries tick, what makes them generate wealth successfully. You can find out a lot about what he's doing at his populist project. That's P-O-P-U-L-Y-S-T dot net. Sammy uh, lives here in uh, New York today, but he was born in Lebanon and so brings a very global perspective uh, to the issue of demographics and wealth development. So thanks for joining me today, Sammy. Thank you very much, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here and to get this opportunity to uh, talk about populist. Uh, very briefly, what is populist about? It really started as a place uh, to publish research on demographics. And the way I got this idea initially is by uh, reading an article on Ireland, uh, which said that the Irish economy had performed very well because of a decline in the dependency ratio, which is essentially the ratio of uh, younger people to, to, to workers. Um, and I was intrigued by this idea that um, something very predictable like demographics could have an impact on something that I think most people will agree is very difficult to predict, like the economy. And I decided to pursue it some more. And I started doing more work on uh, demographics, starting uh, to look for that link, for more robust uh, connections between demographics and economics. And I found uh, a few, I think, that I'll be glad to discuss. Um, but just very briefly, um, demographics in many ways um, does explain a lot of what's happening in the world. I don't subscribe to the view that demographics is destiny because uh, there are other factors. It is certainly an important part of destiny in addition to a couple of others. But um, when I say demographic, demographic explains the world, I will give you uh, a couple of uh, examples that I think your uh, listeners will find interesting. One of them is, if you recall, a couple of years ago, you had the Occupy Wall Street movement. And Occupy Wall Street uh, tried to gain some traction and did not really gain as much traction as its organizers had hoped. And so I tried to look for a reason there, and I, I came up with the following, which is that essentially there were not enough young people as a percent of the total population in the United States. Uh, by contrast, in the 1960s, the late 60s, early 70s, uh, young people made up a much greater percentage of the U.S. population and, you know, with their idealism, with uh, everything else that was going on in the world, their movement gained traction. Uh, whereas here, we're at a, at a time when um, the size of the young population is a, lot, excuse me, is a lot smaller. Another example of how demographics impacts events is uh, the difficulty that the Japanese economy has had since 1990. Uh, the dependency ratio in Japan uh, bottomed in the early 90s and has started to rise since then. Generally, a rising dependency ratio is a, is a negative for the economy. And by the way, this is a, a factor now in the United States as well as in Europe, where after seeing decades of a decline in dependency ratio, we're seeing an increase now. Uh, I'll pause here because I think I've spoken a lot. Well, no, that that's great because you link demographics to something that um, 
you know, we don't necessarily think about things like Occupy Wall Street. Or, you know, when you think about Japan, for example, people talk about, well, they spent money on failed infrastructure projects. They built all this infrastructure that they didn't need. Or they uh, borrowed too much money or there was too much this, there was too – what accounts for their inability to get out of this kind of stagnation that they've in? And you say – Part of the problem is it's just simple demographics. Their working age population is declining. Well, the total population is now shrinking there, and, and that causes problems. You, you said a similar thing on, on the other side, too. Maybe a good example. You, you talk about China. The rise of China is in part a demographic uh, question. Absolutely. I, I'm in the camp uh, who believes that, uh, well, number one, China deserves, of course, uh, an enormous amount of credit for capturing what is called a demographic dividend. Um, and a, a demographic dividend is essentially um, an opportunity, a window that opens when uh, the fertility rate, or shorthand for the birth rate, declines. Because then you have, you're now in a situation where you have a lot fewer dependents. And if at the same time the workforce is increasing as it was in China for decades, um, you have many more workers, that ratio of uh, dependence to workers falls steadily. And in the case of China, it declined very, very dramatically. So I have some figures here um, where, uh, if you bear with me one second, uh, China's dependency ratio was uh, 0.77 in 1970, and it's currently 0.38. So it it, uh, it, it declined by about half. And um, now... I'd like to make one thing clear, which is this is where the point that demographics is not by itself destiny needs to be made, because this same scenario occurred in other countries as well, and those other countries did not see the same success that China saw. So what was different here? You know, the fact that the birth rate or the fertility rate declined and the dependency ratio declined opened a window of opportunity. It's not guaranteed that you will, as a result, perform well as, as an economy, but it opens a window of opportunity. And then it behooves uh, the stakeholders, policymakers, to uh, make sure that the conditions within the economy are such that you can capitalize on that opportunity. And one big thing that happened in the case of China is in the 60s, and perhaps even before the 60s, 60s, 70s, you had a big drive to increase literacy. So that that was very helpful also uh, and uh, allowed uh, kind of the, the, the onset of a virtual cycle. Then, of course, the different trade deals with the United States and so forth um, enabled China to, to, to uh, perform very well. Uh, where are we now? is a bit different because uh, on UN projections, uh, the, the dependency ratio in China is expected to rise from here. And uh, I won't go as far as to say that because it's now already rising, that is the reason why China has slowed down. I think, you know, more analysis needs to be done there. But if we, uh, if I or someone else, someone else comes to this conclusion, after more analysis in, in a year or so, it won't uh, surprise me that one of the main reasons for the slowdown is this increase in the dependency ratio. One continent that's starting to get a lot of attention for its demographics is Africa. 
and you've written some very interesting things about Africa for New Geography with some pretty eye-popping figures about population growth there uh, over the next half century. What is going to be happening in Africa, and how do you see that affecting the rest of the world? Well, I'm glad you asked this question because Africa is really the place where the demographics are booming. You know, when we look when we look at uh, the U.S., Western Europe, or all of Europe, uh, China, Japan, all of these countries, uh, the demographics, the, the population size is um, either growing slowly, as in the case of the U.S., or declining, as in the case of Europe, expected to decline, as in the case of Europe. Uh, in the case of China, it will continue to grow, but at a, at a slower pace than in the past. Now, there are two big exceptions to this uh, slowdown in demographics, and that is sub-Saharan Africa and India. So just to give you a few figures, uh, the, the world population today is 7.3 billion people. And on UN projections, um, that's the medium variant of UN projections, which is uh, what most people use. But um, I should underscore that that uh, medium variant already includes a decline in, in birth rates in, in uh, Africa and in India and other places. So on that estimate, in 2050, there will be 9.7 billion. So an increase of 2.4 billion people from the present. Um, that seems like a big number and is a big number, but uh, believe it or not, that's a slowdown in the rate compared to the previous 35 years. Now, in the case of sub-Saharan Africa, today there are 960 million people. And uh, in 2050, it is expected that there will be 2.1 billion people. So that's a difference of uh, 1.2 billion. So about half of the increase for the world population. Uh, a lot of the remainder of the increase comes from India with about 400 million people in, in, in uh, additional people in India. And then uh, a few other countries here and there. Uh, it should be noted at the same time that the on, on UN estimates, once again, the population of Europe is expected to decline from uh, 740 million to about 710 million. So this is a, a long answer to a question regarding Africa. But one thing uh, that needs to be said is that in the case of Africa, it presents a tr tremendous, really tremendous opportunity from an economic perspective. But there are a lot of ifs uh, in the sense that a lot of things have to go right in order for uh, Africa to capture that uh, demographic dividend that is coming its way or, or, or that window of opportunity towards a demographic dividend. You know, as I said previously, the fact that the fertility rate in Africa is declining does create, on a, on a long-term perspective, say between now and 2050, does open a window of opportunity for Africa to uh, really rise on the, on the on the on the scale of of GDP and uh, to improve its economy, provided that a number of other conditions are met, and these other conditions have to do with an improvement in the context of doing business, uh, lower corruption, uh, a way to access capital, uh, better gender equality, such as 
more women uh, becoming literate. So there are a number of conditions that will give comfort to outside investors, whether they're private investors, corporations, or uh, organizations, to put money in Africa and, and kind of create that virtuous cycle. Um, on current UN projections, um, several of Africa's uh, sub-Saharan countries will be among the 10 most populous in the world. That includes uh, DR Congo, Ethiopia, uh, Nigeria, uh, whereas there were Whereas today it's 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 only Nigeria that's that's in the top ten of these countries. We see that you know Europe's going to decline in population, Africa's going to grow in population. We see all these boats going across from Africa to Europe. It's going to been a big political crisis in the European continent. Do you think this is something that's going to increase? Is it going to, how do you see the interactions of these demographic things playing out between Europe and Africa? Well, Europe is definitely uh, seeing a, an issue in the sense that it's uh, the size of its working population is, is expected to decline. So um, if you look at the age bracket of 15 to 64, you know, we can, we can quibble as to whether 15 is the right age, but um, if, even if we set it at 20, it wouldn't be that different. But the size of the population age 15 to 64 today in Europe is uh, about 490, 490 million people. Uh, and it's expected to decline to 400 million in 2050. So you can take one of two views here. You can say, you know, automation can pick up the slack and therefore you know we can be concerned but maybe not not too concerned or you can take the other view which is that uh you know there's also a lot less demand for for products because you know with a shrinking population you're selling fewer items of everything um so meanwhile let's look at what's happening in the same on these same metrics for sub-saharan africa today the working age population is 520 million expected to rise to 1.3 billion in 2050. I mean, that's an eye-popping number, an increase of 800 million. Not unseen before, because if you look at the BRIC countries in the last uh, 25 or 30 years, we saw a similar increase. But still, a, a, an enormous number to absorb in the sense of that these people will be looking for to, to make a livelihood. So to your question, uh, do I expect the migration to continue the numbers are certainly there. I mean, it's been so far. The number has been when you when you consider the 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 the, the kind of uh, potential increase. The number has, uh, you know, everything's relative. The number is is relatively modest, but um, Europeans have uh, closed one of the channels via Turkey or quasi closed it. And arrivals this year compared to last year are of the order through the Mediterranean and southern Italy of about 750 people a day. Uh, you know, if that annualized, that will turn out to be a lot less than it was last year. My point is more with the long term. You know, what is going to happen if the economic condition of a lot of these countries does not improve? Uh, I mean, it's a prospect I would rather not contemplate. I would rather think of 
what can be done, as is already happening, by the way, in, in, in multiple African countries, what can be done to improve the economies of Africa by people locally, by outside investors, so that you know migration becomes uh, more of a, of a perhaps a choice or than, than a necessity. Um, I think you know the numbers speak for themselves, and um, you know the main increase in the size of the working population worldwide is going to be in in Africa and in India, and um, you know instead of um, worrying about some demographic issues that are closer to home, but um, at least in numbers appear relatively trivial. I think we, we would do ourselves a favor by um, trying to improve conditions uh, elsewhere, not not just for their gain, but for ours as well, frankly. So a lot of the things that you're talking about in terms of demographics and corruption and other things that contribute to wealth creation in a country, you've been trying to systematize into something that you call the populist index. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where we can find out more about, about what you're doing in that, that world? Sure. I mean, the populist index uh, comes from the idea that demographics is one of three main components of wealth creation. The other two being, uh, on one side, innovation and productivity, and on the other side, what I call society and governance. So just to illustrate, of course, demographics are very important for wealth creation. To give you an example, if uh, an iPhone is created um, and the likely customer base uh, is only 2 million people, uh, a lot less wealth will be created than if the customer base is 200 million people. So you, you, you need to have demographics and you need to have the, the right age groups for the products that, that you're targeting. Um, now, relating innovation, well, you need to create that iPhone in the first place. Or you need, if it's not something as advanced as, a iPhone, as an iPhone, you need to improve productivity somehow. And this can be done in many other countries by investing in infrastructure and in education, by, uh, in particular, for example, improving female literacy. You, you really start to create a virtual cycle here that's, that's uh, worth pursuing. So, uh, and then finally, society and governance has to do more with the context of doing business. All the things that give comfort to an investor that if they put money in a certain place, they'll be able to get it back whether it's you know access to capital or uh you know the level of of corruption or gender equality or respect for contract rule of law all of those things that make or even uh, political pluralism all of these things that create a context that puts a country on the right track in terms of wealth creation so with the populist index we score each one of these measures these three measures once again demographics innovation and society and governance we assign a score to each for each country and um, we come up with a country with, with a score for for every every country in the world um, very briefly where do we stand today uh, so the range of the populist index score is negative six to plus six plus six being a country that's 
the most inviting for investment, where you're likely to make money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and where things, by the way, socially are also moving in the right direction. I need to stress that more because that's part of the context. So uh, when you look at the period 1945 to about 2005, the United States, Western Europe, were maxing out on the index. There were, you know, plus six, all of them, because we had innovation, we had favorable demographics, and the context was uh, very strong. Now, you know, demographics in the U.S. should be counted more as a neutral. So we would say the U.S. is more of a plus four, and so is uh, most of uh, Western Europe. Um, so the interesting thing from the perspective of an investor uh, looking at portfolio investing in some other countries or from the perspective of a corporation wanting to direct, do direct investing is that, you know, it's, it's the rate of change along the index that's interesting. So if a country is moving from a negative four to a negative one on the populist index, that's an indication that a lot of things are falling into place. And at least it's, it's worth a look there, if, even if in the end a commitment is not made. So this is briefly the idea of the populist index, that demographics is not destiny by itself, but is a very important part of destiny, along with those other factors. And as to how you can access it, uh, you can reach me through the website, and I would be uh, happy to talk to you about it or to any of your listeners. Great, thanks. I got one last question. When it comes to the demographic dividend and the huge increases in wealth that we saw in a lot of countries, Let's just take Japan. Uh, now, it, it became a very advanced country, but now it appears to be in, in kind of an intractable decline. We don't know what the future is going to happen, but now they've got like you know, population shrinkage. It's going to be challenging situation. Is that really – is this idea of driving down your fertility and your uh, you know, dependency ratio, is that sort of a Faustian bargain <laughs> That you get, you know, 50 years of of like a crack pipe hit, and then you're right back in a very bleak place again. H how does that play out? How should we think about this demographic dividend as a temporary versus a permanent thing? That's that's a very good question. Thank you for asking it. Um, and you, you put it very well. You know, the way I think about it is that it's uh, it's a way of pulling forward. In other words, pulling from the future to the present some wealth that would have uh, been obtained in the future instead. So, you know, that's true for us also in the United States. But, you know, the important thing to remember is the following. It's true that Japan has problems demographically. We have problems to a lesser extent. Um, but there are mitigating factors. So, for example, the size of our population has uh, is not growing as much anymore. But we have other things going for us. You know, we have innovation. You know, we have... Uh, since the 2008 crisis, uh, which I could argue is was partly uh, triggered by a change in demographics, since 2008, you know, we've had the surge of, in Apple, in, in, in the success of Apple. We've had Gilead Sciences. So we have innovation is really picking up a lot of the slack for us. Uh, as And our context, our general context is still favorable. So it's, it's kind of bailing us out. Not enough, perhaps, to create 3 or 4% GDP growth, but enough to avoid uh, a serious economic crisis. Uh, in the case of Japan, you know, you could say the same thing. They're still innovative. 
They're, they have a lot. It's a country that has a lot going for it. Uh, demographics is definitely a big problem, though. And one thing that's worked well for Japan and, and for Germany, too, by the way, is um, the, the fact that they're so innovative and uh, their products are so uh, wanted around the world, they've been able to export a lot. So, you know, Germany that has a population that's relatively stagnant in terms of growth uh, has done a lot for itself by exporting. You know, Germany today has one of the highest percentage of GDP coming from its exports. It's higher than 40%, whereas in the United States and, and Europe, uh, the rest of Europe is more in the teens percent of GDP. So, um, you know, for how long can we kind of rely on this export machine to uh, mitigate a difficult demographic picture? It goes back to where we were saying earlier about new markets such as Africa and, and, and India. You know, if it is true, and uh, let's hope that it's not, but if it's true that China will decelerate, then uh, a lot of these exporters need to find other markets. And uh, it may not be tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, but there will come a time where if the demographic dividend kicks in, where, where India can pick up a lot of the slack and sub-Saharan Africa can pick up a lot of the slack, um, so yes, we did pull wealth forward from the future, but we're fortunate that we have other, uh, you know, vectors of wealth creation working for us. Well, Sammy, thank you very much. I appreciate you joining me today. Once again, uh, listeners, that was Sammy Karam. He is a demographic analyst whose website is populist, P-O-P-U-L-Y-S-T dot net. And you can find out more about the Populist Index there. 